it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Alan West, at the bottom of the hour, we're going to uh, d- delve into the border situation, which is getting worse by the day, and the administration cannot ignore it anymore. I think that's good news overall. Also, special thanks to a brand new station, our family of affiliates, WPNO, 1450 AM, uh, South Parles, Maine, WEZR, 780 uh, AM in Rumford, Maine. Uh, so we're privileged to be uh, we're, we're privileged to know that you are part of the family, the Patriot in Oxford County. So welcome aboard. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at Crunch.com. Number three. This is our administration. I'm a Democrat. And, you know, they need to understand they own it now. They own it now. And they have to take the steps to correct this. Otherwise, you know, when are we going to see an end to this? Uh, That is Henry Cuellar. He's a Democrat and he's had it because his community is at the border in Texas. Border wars, illegals flooding the border as New York's mayors finds his 10 city of illegals literally flooded. Now they have to be not disbanded, but pushed over to Randall's Island. And where's the president on this? MIA. Good news is this can't last because now he and his party are paying a political price. Number two. Despite the fact that Putin is going to mobilize hundreds of thousands of troops, many of them are going to be physically and medically unfit, not ready to go fight and die in Ukraine on the battlefield. Uh, That is General Jack Keane. That is the honest uh, assessment of what's happening in the battlefield, the Russian retreat. Ukraine's making remarkable gains as Russia's forces begin to fall apart. And Putin's massive draft has been falling apart as well. Number one. Joe Biden's approval rating on inflation among independents is 21 percent. Congress's approval rating is 14 percent. Everybody knows which party controls Washington right now and they want to change. They do. Kellyanne Conway on Larry Kudlow last night, 2022, swinging the red way, showing the crime and inflation and a broken border matter more than Trump and Roe. Plus, we look at both parties, how how they're handling the aftermath of Ian and Fiona. Yesterday, the president said something totally bizarre. He goes to Puerto Rico. Now, one thing we understand, too, and I got a I got a quick uh, Puerto Rico one on one exam with President Trump. President Trump said, I'm looking at how corrupt this Republican governor's. Uh, and Puerto Rico, the Commonwealth is. We give money to them. But where's the money go? Every time they get hit by a natural disaster or need something, well, we give the money. But does it go to the wrong pe- to the right people? And the answer is no. So the president said, "I'm not giving you a blank check. You have to understand that your Commonwealth is this country, and if you're going to give you money, of taxpayer money, you got to actually be accountable to it." So the president of the United States didn't like that. The current president, so he wanted to do the opposite. He goes, "I'm just going to give you all the money you want." At which time, as usual, he goes too far and goes ahead and says. 
while he's uh, in that country, goes ahead and tells everyone uh, where exactly he stands in terms of the hurricane. He can relate to the people of Puerto Rico because, I don't know, he's in Delaware and there's Puerto Ricans there? Cut 31. I come from a little state, the little state of Delaware. It's not like the congresswoman from New York. She comes from a big state. But we have a very, in relative terms, large Puerto Rican population in Delaware, relative to our population. We have the eighth largest black population in the country, and between all minorities, we have 20 percent of our state is minority. And so I, uh, I uh, was sort of raised uh, in the Puerto Rican community at home politically. There's no stat in existence in Delaware that shows this huge Puerto Rican contingent in Delaware, especially when he came of age in the 70s. How does that even make any sense? And you could see, of course, this is radio, the the, the, the first lady looking uh, very uncomfortable as he clearly was off script and basically was barely intelligible. So when he talks about running again, if he's running again and things are going smoothly and his policy is implemented and you can make a judgment on him. Oh, it doesn't matter about age. No, Bernie Sanders would not be elected or unelected because of age. But this guy is falling apart before our eyes, making stuff up that doesn't happen, making no sense when he's off script. And sometimes when he's reading scripts, like, for example, calling out people uh, that he's eulogized, uh, like Jackie. Kamala Harris, when asked about aid, uh, hurricane aid relief, never misses an opportunity to bring up race or inequity. Cut 32. It is our... Um, lowest income communities and our communities of color that are most impacted by these extreme conditions and and impacted by by issues that are not of their own making and so we absolutely and so we have to address this in a way that is about giving resources based on equity, understanding that we, we fight for equality but we also need to fight for equity, understanding not everyone starts out at the same place is that, is that so – I mean, besides inaccurate, it's so disheartening to see a person emerge as a vice president at a young age, 50-something, and think that she's got this promising career as attorney general and senator and be this inept all the time and to bring up race all the time. I mean, it would be different if it's Al Sharpton you expected, and it's disappointing when he does it because an activist with influence could be so much more productive. But to see Kamala Harris bring this up again, it just welcomes – It was this, even on the Sunday shows, Rick Scott was smart enough to bring up inequity. Listen, number one, when people got slammed in Fort Myers, you know the people that got hit the hardest? The people by the ocean. If you've looked at a real estate, get Zillow. Go, go ahead, log on. It's free. And look at the most expensive homes by the ocean. The richest people own homes by the ocean. They got destroyed by the ocean. Yeah, some people living paycheck to paycheck or in affordable housing might be in a trailer park, but they're not uh, they're not uh, unequally affected by natural disasters. But she has to bring it up and has everybody nodding and clapping along with her, except for the normal th- clear-thinking people who know when it comes to natural disasters, no one's saying, you know, give it to the white people. Don't give it to the Asians. Don't give it to the Hispanics or the blacks. Here's Governor DeSantis, cut 33 on this. I think she's trying to play uh, identity politics with a, with a storm and a natural disaster. And, and I think it's ridiculous. And, and, and honestly, we had the FEMA administrator in Florida with us, and she threw cold water on that. So that is not going to happen. It's totally not appropriate. Uh, you don't have to politicize 
every single tragedy in this country. Um, and I think people, I tell you, in Florida are really sick of the nonsense. They just want people to, to be helped. They want everyone to band together. And they want us to get these communities back on our feet. So that's what we're doing in Florida. Yeah, and, and so far, I think the the uh, governor has confronted a CNN reporter, had a problem with him, and uh, the fact that he didn't give Lee County enough time to evacuate. He said, where were you located? And she said, well, Tampa. I said, well, that's where everybody was located. That's where the weather was supposed to hit. We had 20, a few hours to get into Lee County to get out, and there's certain people in Lee County who have survived every storm, and we're not going to listen to any governor, Republican, Democrat, or in between, or family member. They're just not going to leave. And to quickly say, well, you know, why didn't you get Lee County out quicker? You might want to get a story, but you also might want to be accurate. Let it be. The, the key that's going to decide what this hurricane will mean politically to anyone is how quick they can get aid and get people back to living their lives again. I'm not saying they got to build their house, but give them a place to live while they build their house or allow them to get to the aid necessary to allow them to rebuild their lives. Some are just going to fly out and say, it's my second home. I'm not going to live there. Fine. But for those who have a primary residence, where are they going to go? How quick can the information, how digestible can it be, how quickly people understand? So I do want to talk politics now as it relates to all this, because the newest polls are coming out and it's looking terrible for Democrats. And it's not because the Republicans have been great. It's because the issues oh, and, and the facts on the ground and in life are so terrible. Six out of every 10 of you listening to me right now are living paycheck to paycheck. That is nothing to be ashamed of. But it's a factor when you go to fill up your gas tank. It's a factor when you pay your utility bills. It's a factor when you go out to eat. It's a factor when you look at your paycheck and see it's not going any further. It's a factor when you go shopping or decide not to buy things because your paycheck doesn't go as far. You just don't have the surplus or you use credit card cash advance to pay off a bill which you know is the wrong thing to do but you want to be able to keep the lights on so that's when people aren't saying what about roe v wade and what about donald trump really can we worry about 2024 when it happens molly hemingway weighed in cut seven you know we used to say that the media were the propaganda arm of the democrat party it's probably more fair now to say that the democrat party is the political arm of our corporate media they understand very well that there was stagnation during the obama era that the trump presidency did have great economic heights you know peace breaking out across the world, a a border that was on its way to becoming secure, all these issues. Uh, Now we're back with Biden that's sort of like the uh, Obama term, third term. And so they know these things, but their job, they don't think, is to report accurately about what's happening either domestically or or internationally. They think their job is to preserve political power for for them and their allies. And here's the problem. So if you are one of those media outlets that says, we're going to pretend the gas prices aren't too high. We're going to focus on the 50 cents they left. We're not going to focus on uh, the last week and a half that they've gone up, right? Let's not focus on the West Coast where the average price, I believe, is, is ridiculous. The average cut in California is now $6.38. Uh, they have an increase of, uh, of five <laughs> It increased almost five dollars in the last year. Nevada is at five dollars and forty-eight uh, forty-eight cents. Oregon five dollars forty-three forty-three cents. So we're not going to focus on the fact that a lot of it's because you're trying to green up the gasoline to make it burn, which you allege is quicker. That you put taxes in there to dissuade people from actually buying new gas-powered cars. So all those people going through that, we won't report that. But the thing is, we don't need the media for that. I, I, you don't need me for all this stuff. 
You don't say, well, wait a second, my, the gas prices seem high, and so do the food bills. I wonder what Brian thinks. No, it doesn't matter what I think. So by not reporting it or saying it's better than it is, you lose credibility. That's on you. That's pretty much why, in my uh, unprofessional opinion, but I live it, is people aren't turning to other outlets. It's not because they're voting red or blue. It's because there's no credibility or interesting things going on, and it's an insult a lot of times to what you think. So. When we come back, I want to talk about what's happening in Ukraine and Russia. For the longest time, people didn't care. They're zoning in now. Why? Vladimir Putin has tried to annex four regions he doesn't control, number one. Number two, he's threatening a nuclear war. That's kind of interesting, don't you think? And NATO's expanded by two countries. Both those countries might be in the eye of the storm. And what happens if they do use nukes? David Petraeus weighed in over the weekend, causing many people, including on the right, kind of upset where we're heading with this conflict. My opinion— about Ukraine and Russia, I think it's really valid if you understand the history of the Europe in particular. And believe it or not, even Western Europe, who majors in doing nothing, understands it. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox & Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I don't believe for a minute that he's going to use nuclear weapons. Do we take that seriously? Of course, given the nature of the weapons. But the probability of that is low. Uh, Why? Because he knows full well that will expand the war. That brings the United States and NATO into the war as a result of the use of a nuclear weapon uh, inside of Ukraine, and that guarantees that Putin will lose the war. And by the way, what they found out, and the New York Times does this story, Yahoo picked it up, that when it comes to tactical nukes, I don't know how many experts there are in this world, but you can't really use it, especially near you. You could make an area uninhabitable, but if you use nukes, it could blow up right back into your country. And tactically, you'll kill your own soldiers at the same time. So unless you have a suicide wish, but no one says that Vladimir Putin, if anything, is a survivalist, would do that. So if Russia did launch nuclear weapons, David Petraeus said, uh, Jake Sullivan, he, he clearly, by the way he was talking on ABC, he clearly is in touch with him. He didn't say Jake Sullivan, National Security Advisor, said when Jake... Okay, so obviously he goes by. I didn't ask him what exactly his response would be, should they use nuclear weapons. But here's what he said could happen, would happen, and it has been explained, he believes, to Vladimir Putin. Cut 11. can still get worse for Putin and for Russia. And even the use of tactical nuclear weapons on the battlefield won't change this at all. Jake Sullivan has publicly stated that the U.S. has communicated to Russia what would happen uh, in response to that. And what would happen? Well, again, I have deliberately not talked to Jake about this. Yeah. I mean, just to give you a hypothetical, yeah. um, we would respond by leading a NATO, a collective effort, 
that would take out every Russian conventional force that we can see and identify on the battlefield in Ukraine and also in Crimea and every ship on the, in the Black Sea fleet. So, so you understand? The minute they did it, they would blow up every Russian ship and kill every Russian soldier, most of which have been deployed. The rest are running for the border. So good luck with that, which then you're left with this, what's happening on the battlefield. And what's happening on the battlefield, and, and I'm reading everything. I know that the Washington Post and New York Times are trying to sell us on this war. I am for this necessary confrontation, but I'm not for no accountability when it comes to giving our weapons. And I just think that we should be finding out where this with stuff is going and don't give things incrementally. If we're going to commit high margins, do it right away. Going to commit uh, tanks, do it right away. If uh, one of our allies has committed but is not delivering, make them deliver it or embarrass them publicly. So give you an idea of what's going on. In the key area of Kyrgyzstan, Ukrainian forces have begun to move. In what a senior Ukrainian military official described as the beginning of an active phase of a month-long offensive operation. This is very fertile land. It's the farmland. It is the Black Sea coast. If, the, if Ukraine loses this, they lose their ports. They'll have to be almost totally supplied for all their resources. So they haven't lost it. They've held on to Odessa. And the area in which they lost first, Kyrgyzstan, they're beginning to take back. Russia Defense Ministry acknowledged on Monday that Ukraine's tank units have penetrated its line of defense in part of the region. This is the fertile part of the southern Ukraine that the Russian forces seized in the first few weeks. Now, what else is going on? It turns out the best fighting force are the Chechnyans. So this guy, Razman Kordyorov, who is now the strongman leader of Chechnya, is maximizing his pull and knows they can't afford to lose any Chechnyan soldiers because those people actually fight. They said over the weekend they blamed the Russian military leadership. This is a remarkable instance of public infighting within the ruling elite. So what are you going to do to him? Really? You got to go put him under house arrest and then lose the whole Chechen army? You're going to have some inept Russian military leader threaten to shoot the whole Chechnyans who are basically born to fight? Not going to happen. So he is trying to bolster his command. He tried to get 300,000 mobilized and drafted. He says they're reserves. Reserves means they're trained. They're not trained. Now we understand the military conscription process is a, is a cluster. They said to bolster the battering forces, he set off a nationwide turmoil uh, and said he wanted 300,000. Now there's massive protests and egg running for the exits, bringing the war home to many Russians who felt untouched by it. Now many men have been drafted who were supposed to be ineligible based on the factors like age or disability. On Monday, the governor of this region in the Far East said half of the men called up were called up by mistake. And they told thousands, you can go home. Do you believe this? It is a mess. The second biggest army in the world, the one that should be feared, has not been trained. They've been bilking off the system. Money that's supposed to go to the military is not there. They're finding Russian troops with one gun between three guys who want to give themselves up and say they haven't been trained at all. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. This is our administration. I'm a Democrat. And, you know, they need to understand they own it now. They own it now. And they have to take the steps 
to correct this. Otherwise, you know, when are we going to see an end to this? That is Henry Cuellar, a Democrat who, instead of listening to him and saying, how do we solve this, Henry? They primary him twice. And he had to go to a runoff to win. And by the way, Republicans support him to their credit. If they would, if that left-wing lunatic beat him in the runoff, it would probably be a Republican seat. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West is with us. He ran the RNC in Texas for a while uh, and uh, knows that well. Uh, welcome back, uh, Congressman uh, Allen West. Welcome. Good to be with you, Brian. How are you today? Good. Cuellar knows the, the deal at the border. Yeah, he does, without a doubt. I mean, he's right there in the major city, Laredo, uh, and that's one of those ground zero points with all of these uh, illegal border crossings and the fact that it's so porous there along the Rio Grande Valley. So hats off to him for saying what needs to be said and, and for speaking the truth, because if you look at, you know, Robert Francis O'Rourke and all the rest of the uh, Democrats or progressive socialists running for office here in Texas, they just continue to deny what everyone knows is happening down there on the board. That is wide open. It is porous. And we're losing the fight against these uh, transnational narco-criminal terrorists known as the cartels. Henry Cuellar told uh, Bill Malusian this, that he went up to Mayorkas and he said, what are you doing? And he said, I, you, know, I, uh, you know, you know what it takes to seal the border. And the response was this, was the president, someone got to the, the immigration groups got to the president. My hands are tied. Now, knowing that, that means Mayorkas has lied under oath when he says the border is secure because he knows it, even though Tom Holman has pointed out that he worked under him and Mayorkas knows how to do this. But it shows you this administration sold our sovereignty out to these left-wing groups that hate us. No, you're absolutely right. Not just the left-wing groups, but also this administration is funding these non-governmental organizations, NGOs, to be down there and basically be the travel agencies for these uh, illegal immigrants. And so the left can be upset with uh, Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis and calling them human traffickers. But the Biden administration is using taxpayer funds uh, to support uh, Catholic charities and some of these other groups to transport illegals all across the United States of America. I don't hear a peep from them on that. And Mallorca, you're right, has lied under oath. If he had any semblance of honor, integrity, and character, he resigned from the position. I would hope so. Um, So meanwhile, we have... Mayor Adams here building a tent city in the Bronx and the people of the Bronx said, what the hell are you doing? It starts to rain. He goes, "Okay, I'm moving to Randall's Island. Evidently, AOC is among the people that's been complaining about the illegal immigrants that she wants to welcome at all times by leaving the border wide open and keeping New York a sanctuary city. Now, listen to Adams. I, wait, I said Adams could have been a national figure if he was smart enough to call out the administration for endangering his citizens of New York. He could have been, but he's not. Here's what he said, though, beginning to understand that the Democrats have to be called out. Cut 21. I don't know if you have really picked up what's happening. The far right is doing the wrong thing. The far left is doing nothing. I mean, the silence, I don't believe the silence that I'm hearing. These are people in need of services. And I am not hearing from the two ends of the spectrum. Far right is doing what's wrong. Far left is doing nothing at all. Right. Uh, That's as close (laughs) as he got to a left-wing rebuke. But it's getting there because he has no choice. 
Yeah, the amazing thing is that he has the deer in the headlights look. He has he does. no idea of what to do. And, the, you know, think about the juxtaposition of AOC with that staged uh, photograph of her down there, you know, on her knees crying at some fence during the Trump administration. And now she's saying, I don't want him in my congressional district, which goes right along with the Martha's Vineyard. And so it just goes, to, again, to reinforce the hypocrisy of the folks on the left. They, they, you know, aren't these her Hispanic brothers and sisters that she cared so much about during the Trump administration, and now she's like, get them out of the Bronx? So, you know, at some point in time, the interests of the American people, not, you know, left-wing groups or not NGOs or whatever, the interests of the American people and the rule of law has to be adhered to. And right now, no one is doing that. And, and I think that's something that we can all agree on. Yeah, I think, he, I think we can. I want to bring you to the Ukraine war and the way things have changed on the battlefield. Yeah. That's where you spend decades uh, in uniform. I want you to hear what uh, General Petraeus said over the weekend, cut 17. He's going to continue to lose on the battlefield. Uh, and at some point, there's going to have to be recognition of that. At some point, there's going to have to be some kind of beginning of negotiations, as President Zelensky has said, will be the ultimate end. And at some point, by the way, as well, I strongly agree uh, with the idea of Ukraine becoming part of NATO. So he's talking about what's happening on the battlefield, where, the, where we know that Vladimir Putin's forces have been blown out of the Kharkiv Oblast region. We know that they're making progress through in the south in the Kyrgyzstan region. Uh, they said that every, they're watching the Russians ill-equipped either be killed Leave their dead on the. By the way, they don't care about their soldiers. They leave their dead on the side of the road in the battlefield. We find them bombed down houses. They could not care less about the. They just disregard human life in a way in which I didn't think was possible for a 21st century army. But they're losing everywhere. At what point, if you are Zelensky, do you talk? And at which point, if you are Vladimir Putin, do you understand you can't win? Well, I think Vladimir Putin is never going to admit that he can't win. That's just the delusion of a dictator. And what you see happening with the Russian uh, troops on the ground, it kind of reminds me of that opening scene from the movie Enemy at the Gates, where they just forced a bunch of Russian conscripts to charge into the, the German machine guns. When they tried to run away, uh, the political officers gunned down the Russian conscripts also. So, you know, Chad Robichaud is a very dear, very dear friend of mine. He just got back from being on the ground in Ukraine, and he provided a great report to Fox News uh, over the weekend. And we're talking about 18, 19, 20-year-old Russian soldiers. They're terrified. Uh, they don't know who's in charge. They're not getting good leadership. And now the initiative is on the side of the Ukrainians. But the number one thing, and I talked about this before with you, Brian, we have got to get air superiority, air cover, so the Ukrainians do not have Russian MiG fighter jets flying over over and continue to bomb them. So that's the number one thing, is to restore control of the Ukrainian airspace. And I don't know why we haven't allowed the Ukrainians to get a hold of MiG aircraft. That's the one thing that they'd like to have. And then also MANPADS, the uh, Man Portable Air Defense Systems. So I think those are the two critical things. But uh, Chad told me that the Javelin anti-tank missiles are really wreaking havoc upon the uh, Soviet, uh, I mean, Russian armored forces. Awesome. Uh, but I want it replenished. We should get those contractors going. We need javelins in our arsenal. We've given them almost all of yeah. ours, and that's fine. I'm, I'm yeah. supportive of it. I definitely see the bigger picture here, but there's got to be 
number one, accountability. When we give you stuff, it gets to the front lines. Number two, uh, we also want to make sure we replenish here. And there doesn't seem to be any interest in that. I want to bring you to some. And, and by the way, we have uh, two Russian soldiers. Uh, uh, he was found with only one gun between them. They said the Ukrainian soldiers have encountered hungry, poor, poorly outfitted Russian troops, some with little weaponry to defend themselves. And they have more, more of these in, in, uh, situations where these guys, let alone the new ones that have been conscripted to go in. You think they want to fight? Are you kidding? The ones that weren't smart enough to get yeah. out? So I want you to hear uh, an inter- exchange I had with John Kirby about an hour ago on Fox and Friends because they are kicking out 20,000 at least American military members who don't want to get vaccinated, even though the president knows the pandemic's over and told us that. Cut 19. To invest in our people and train them and then dismiss them for experimental vaccine is folly when you can't recruit. Every one of your branches can't recruit their threshold, yet you're kicking out good men and women. How do you explain that? Well, look, Brian, first of all, the Navy did make their uh, recruiting goals for enlisted personnel this year. Yes, it's a tough recruiting environment. We recognize that. Uh, but it's also you have a requirement to be healthy, to be able to serve. And this is a valid military requirement. It's a, you really it's a think so? order to get vaccine. And, and look, even even if it doesn't prevent you from getting COVID, I'm double boosted. I got it myself here just so the last your week decision. or so. It, may, it makes the symptoms a lot less right. severe. It gets you back on, on duty. So it's uh, worth kicking out health, the healthiest people in our country who are already sacrificing? Your, it's worth kicking them out? Brian, Brian, we would rather not lose anybody, of course, uh, to the vaccine. We'd rather not lose anybody uh, from a retention perspective to have them leave the service earlier than they wanted or we wanted them to. Right. But it's a valid military requirement. No, it, no, it isn't. This is an experimental yeah. vaccine that just came right. off the shelf. Right. You know it's not valid, right. and in the, it's risk our national security. Right. Admiral, you are a military no. officer. You could talk sense into right. this White House. I, I was a military officer. That's why I'm telling you that, that vaccines are common. for you, you can't even join the military without taking about a dozen or so vaccines to make sure that you're healthy so that you can, you can contribute to the unit's success and readiness. We don't want to lose anybody to the vaccine. You're losing 20,000. Whether 20, they get the vaccine or not, we don't. But, but Brian, you, you got to have a healthy force. This is a valid health requirement. Health is, is central to yeah. our readiness for, as a military it's unit. Just, and you're not just, it's not right, just about you. What's your thoughts on this? John Kirby is a disgusting embarrassment to have worn the uniform of the United States of America. He, he doesn't understand his oath to the Constitution and the rule of law and, and what is right and what is not right. Let me give you a great example of the hypocrisy and the stupidity that John Kirby didn't address and that we saw from Joe Biden. Joe Biden called up and congratulated a uh, rescue swimmer from the Coast Guard by the name of Zach Lesh. And Zach had done countless amounts of uh, recoveries and, and rescues. Zach Lash is about to be discharged from the United States Coast Guard in one month because he did not want to take the vaccine. But that did not have anything to do with him going in and rescuing hundreds of people in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian. So uh, I, I would just like to see the person, Joe Biden, the commander in chief, 
who was shot up with COVID vaccine, boosted and everything. The command, the uh, Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, shot up with COVID vaccines, boosted and everything. Both of them uh, contracted COVID. Tony Fauci, every, everyone else. Uh, and Deborah Burke said that they knew that the vaccine would not prevent infection. So why are we forcing people out? Because they don't want to take something that they have admitted does not you know, prevent infection. And furthermore, Joe Biden said the pandemic is over. So why are we forcing people like Zach Lesh, a United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer, out when he is performing his duties to the extent that the commander-in-chief, the president of the United States of America, called and congratulated him? And uh, early on in the interview, I said with three variants in, everybody knows COVID-19, the standard vaccine that was affected to a degree but should be a choice, not a mandate, to wear three variants yes. in, this is useless. And they've come up with another booster to design against a variant, two variants in. We're in the third and fourth wave. This is a non-issue in America. The president dismissed it. And they're willing to kick out these military men and women at a time in which we can't get anyone to wear the uniform. I was talking to a recruiter over the weekend. You know what they told me? They've gotten two guys in two weeks, both homeless. Both homeless with absolutely no yeah. choice. They could not afford... The, the money for an application to get a new Social Security card. That's our choices. And you're kicking out people you already invested in. This, this is anti-American. This is an opinion. This is anti-American. Final thought? You're destroying the capability and capacity of the United States military. Uh, all for what reason? To make a political point? And, and so if you want to talk about a high crime and misdemeanor, you want to talk about a treasonable offense, what Joe Biden and the rest of his cronies are doing to our United States military, to me, it warrants such. Thanks so much. Colonel Allen West, thank you. You, My pleasure. one 866 What do you think? You know, if you want to disagree, it's totally okay. That, that's open here. You should not be mandating that men and women get something that's proven to be a shot Not a vaccine. It's a shot. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. The U.S. Embassy in Moscow is urging all American citizens in Russia to leave immediately. Oh, cool. I'll try to do that, said Brittany Griner. <laughs> yeah, he also had a pretty good line about where's Jackie. I was surprised. Uh, that was pretty good. And also, I would say that they went out of their way just to destroy Herschel Walker, uh, my favorite guy. I mean, they basically... Um, He's been on there forever. Well, uh, Jay Keenan. Oh, oh, that one, yeah. Yeah, so he wanted to play Herschel Walker, and they just mocked him. I'm like, why was that even necessary? I didn't even see any humor in it. It was just made him be dumb. I'm dumb, and I'm a dumb football player. Okay, just make sure I vote my way. And I actually thought the cold open was decent. They made fun of the Manning cast. We'll but have some of that the, later But after that, it was absolutely terrible. Do you see these skits? I didn't get I mean, it's like a high school play. What happened to these guys? I know the cold open was sort of entertaining, which I don't know if we have time for now, but we do have the cut where they made fun of um, Biden seeing dead people. Okay. 
At a White House event, President Biden asked if Representative Jackie Walorski was in the audience, asking, where's Jackie? Apparently forgetting she died last month. <laughs> President Biden on Friday attended a formal ceremony welcoming Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson to the Supreme Court, said Biden. And where's Justice Ginsburg? Ruth, come on up here. <laughs> funny. That right? was funny. That's just funny. I mean, it's just, I mean, and by the way, just for very few people to call it, and to see there's no excuse for it and to see how badly that was handled, that would have been an ongoing story. Instead, guess what they did over the weekend? They focused on Donald Trump's speech the night before, at which time he also did something on Truth Social, which was ill-advised, when he talked about uh, Donald, Mitch McConnell has a death wish. And what he clearly meant is he had a death wish for the party. He had a death wish to lose the majority, but not personally, but at a time in which tensions are high, you got to watch your language. And the president shouldn't be bringing that up because he puts people like Rick Scott, Tim Scott, Marco Rubio. He allows all his enemies to ask other Republicans about him, even after a devastating hurricane. And believe me, they just can't wait to talk about October 6th. Excuse me, January, October 6th. January 6th. That's what they want to talk about. But it's not even possible. They put off the hearings a week because of the hurricane. And when it comes back, I'm telling you, Keep you proud, boys. Uh, keep you queuing on. Nobody cares. We know these are uh, two bad organizations nobody wants any part of that doesn't represent any political organization in this country, an extreme element, and they want to link it directly to Roger Stone and link it to the president. When you have immigration, when you have the border the way it is, when you have inflation the way it is, gas prices the way they're currently located, these spending bills that are sucking the life out of this entire economy – and you see the president refusing to act to try to alleviate some pressure uh, on the, uh, at the pump. Nobody cares about J- January 6th. I'm telling you, as bad as it was, I want to reform the electoral process. We're making it a formality. I don't want electorates bailing out, bowing out like they did in 2016. I don't want Jill Stein trying to mount some type of third, uh, uh, some type of challenge like they did against Donald Trump. I don't want people challenging like they were doing when Joe Biden was vice president of Donald Trump's election. And I certainly don't want to see what happened this past January 6th and 2021 before President Biden took over. So they could do some of those things. But that's the story. From the Fox News radio studios in midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. It's Brian Kilmeade coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, the number to call to be on the show to have your voice be heard around the world, one 408 7669 Exciting day for us here. WPNO has now joined the family of stations and affiliates, 1450 AM in South Paris, Maine. WEZR, 780 AM. Their slogan is uh, the Patriot in Oxford Company. Um, country. And meanwhile, this hour, we're going to do a Varney and Company simulcast. You'll see they here have share a, a world with their audience. And then uh, Reverend Robert Jeffers will be with us. And Steve Moore, the economist extraordinaire, is standing by because we've got new economic numbers and trends that I think are trending away from what this administration is doing. Hopefully they're sober enough to understand that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This is our administration. I'm a Democrat. 
And, you know, they need to understand they own it now. They own it now. And they have to take the steps to correct this. Otherwise, you know, when are we going to see an end to this? That is Henry Cuellar, a Democrat, border wars, illegals flooding across uh, the border of Texas. New York's mayor finds his tent city of illegals flooded. He's got to move it to an island. And where is the president? He is MIA. Good news is they can't let they can't do that for long because now America cares about immigration. Despite the fact that Putin is going to mobilize hundreds of thousands of troops, many of them are going to be physically and medically unfit, not ready to go fight and die in Ukraine on the battlefield. General Jack Keane, the Russian retreat. Ukraine's making remarkable gains as Russia forces begin to fall apart. And Putin's massive draft has Russia falling apart. Number one. Joe Biden's approval rating on inflation among independents is 21 percent. Congress's approval rating is 14 percent. Everybody knows which party controls Washington right now, and they want to change. That seems to be the case. Kellyanne Conway, our newest contributor, uh, 2022, swinging the red way, showing that crime and inflation and a broken border matter more than Trump and Roe. Plus, we look at how both parties are handling the aftermath of Ian as well as Fiona. And for the most part, you see a very competent governor in charge. And you have CNN trying to catch him, saying things like, why didn't you get the Lee County people out sooner? Well, because it was supposed to hit in Tampa. And I would give everyone all the facts that we had in real time. Also, you see that now, especially in Fort Myers, it's going to take years to build everything back. In the meantime, I think that Governor DeSantis is going to be judged by how these people are taken care of in the short term. And long term, how many people are available to give answers to people uh, in the Fort Myers area? For example, where can I live? Where can I go? How much money will I have? What can FEMA do? Uh, for for Ron DeSantis, he was pretty much up for the challenge last night with Sean Hannity. He also made it clear that it doesn't matter, despite what the vice president said, about your status, about your money, your earned income, or about the color of your skin, Who's getting aid? Even though the vice president brought up, it's all about equity distribution. Cut 34. The impacts span all demographics, all income levels. Sanibel has some very wealthy people. They also have blue-collar people. You have other uh, communities, different race, different ethnicities. Who cares? We just want to make sure people have a chance to get back off their feet and, and get moving forward again. And what he's trying to do is stay apolitical, and I think that's important. Ben Dominich weighed in yesterday, uh, yesterday with Harris Faulkner about where this is heading. It's heading towards Republicans' way because of the facts, not because of their campaign or their new policy. Cut 36. There's such a thing, of course, as never letting a crisis go to waste. And we saw that under the Obama administration. But there's also such a thing as having a crisis uh, look like it's something that you're trying to take advantage of. And I think that that was a situation here where she, unfortunately, you know, ran into uh, the real teeth of something that people in America really are fed up with, which is turning everything into kind of a race-focused politically focused uh, thing as opposed to in a moment of real tragedy, bringing everyone together, trying to unite around, trying to bring people back. Steve Moore, our guest, and Steve's an economist, of course, been around, uh, worked with the Trump administration, too. Uh, When it comes to natural disasters, is it true that those uh, lower income classes, working class, uh, don't don't get dealt with fairly? 
I mean, do you, have you seen any stat to back that up? Yeah, you know, uh, the answer to your question is no. In fact, um, I did some analysis a couple of years ago of major crises throughout the American history, things like the Great Chicago Fire, things like the San Francisco earthquake 100 years ago. That And, and two really interesting things about those kinds of disasters, the Galveston uh, hurricane flood that almost destroyed that entire area, is that um, it didn't Normally, it doesn't take government to step in with all these billions and billions of dollars. People are incredibly resilient. Um, Chicago was rebuilt within six months. San Francisco was rebuilt quickly. And it was done almost all with private sector charitable money. So I hate this impulse in America today, Brian, that when we have a crisis, we have to have government spend tens and tens and tens of billions of dollars because those that a lot of that money is never even going to be spent on the disaster. It's going to get intercepted. So we are an incredibly resilient people. Our heart obviously goes out to the people who in uh, in uh, Naples and areas uh, of Tampa. But I don't, I'm not a big believer that the solution is, uh, is $100 billion of federal money. And I also hate the idea that this has been done. Oh, you know, we're going to give money to this county because they have more Hispanics right. or blacks than this county. I mean, that's not well, America. I don't think that Ron DeSantis would allow that, but that's where the vice president exactly. has got to happen. The other thing is, just to choose logic, I don't need this to, uh, an economist degree like you have, Steve, to know that richest people live on the coast, uh, on the ocean in Florida. I mean, you if you you aspire to get that ocean view. So that's the first thing that got crushed in and, the Fort and, Myers and the yachts hit. and the boats. Yeah, so, the, so yeah, tell right. me the working class that has that mansion that got destroyed in their act and they're going to be ignored. Yeah, I mean, I, you make a really good point that these coastal towns tend to be the areas where wealthier people live, for no question about it, which also raised the question of why the government is, is rushing in with uh, hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars here. Um, I, I do think, by the way, it's a little hypocritical for – all these liberals, you know, in places like California to say, oh, gee, why are we giving all this aid to Florida when, you know, how much aid have we given to California over the years? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, the fires. Oh, uh, yeah. The fires exactly. in particular. So let's look at the national gas average. It's $3.79 unless you're in the West Coast, uh, which, by the way, it is going up for six straight days. The West yeah. Coast, get this, uh, there's been a... There, it is now in California, $6.38. In Nevada, $5.48. In Oregon, $5.43. Evidently, the refineries that feed the West Coast are all offline. Whether yeah. you know, They want to say they're maintenance, but there's some reason why they're not being effective. You talk about Alaska, $5.34. Washington, $5.30. In Arizona, four forty-eight. Out on the West Coast, it's considerably higher. Why? Uh, a couple of reasons. For, first of all, we have a new study that we just put out. It was cited in the Wall Street Journal today, uh, Brian, that looks at how much um, – if, if we had just kept with the Trump energy policies, as you know, I worked with Trump on uh, this crusade of his to make America energy independent and energy dominant. If we had just stuck with those policies and continued to build out the energy infrastructure that we need, which of course right. includes pipelines, includes refineries, it includes LNG terminals – we would be producing about 3 million more barrels a day wow. in the United States. Now, that means that if, if that were the case, we wouldn't be depleting the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Did you know we're at the lowest level since the summer of 1984 right. when Reagan was first building up what, the Petroleum Reserve? What was it Reserve? for? It was for an oil shock like the 70s. Exactly. It? So it's a dangerous situation we're facing right now with oil. Now, you asked the question about <clears> – <throat> these West Coast states like Washington, yeah. Oregon, California, they are paying 
about a dollar fifty a gallon more gasoline, and their utility costs for their electric power almost double the national average. Why? Green energy. They've invested so much money in green energy. It's incredibly inefficient. It's not reliable, and it's expensive. And so they're paying a high price wow. for these ener- green energy policies. And then California says, Brian, I'm not making this up. They say we're a model for the nation on energy. Oh, really? Six dollar gallon gasoline, double the national price for electric. Folks, you want to pay twice what you pay for your, your electric heating bills? Um, right. Do the California model. Right. Uh, absolutely. And the thing is, uh, to, to point out, too, it, it, Governor Newsom is running on his California record. <laughs> San Francisco is an abomination. Right. California is, uh, is absolutely nuts. And this president and this governor has done nothing effectively to handle it. What he does is, is he just wants to raise his own profile. A million people in the last year, a million more people have left California than come into California over the last decade. That's the first time that's happened in American history where people actually left California. And that's a result of you know, the weather didn't change there. It's because of uh, incredibly bad governance in the state of California. It's sad, actually. I mean, how do you get people to leave California? It's one of the most it's, beautiful oh places on the planet. Absolutely. So, uh, by the way, the market went up yesterday. What and would you say? The re- and what do you say the reason is? Uh, well, we fell by so much in the last three or four Under 30,000? It was unbelievable. So we're just seeing a bit of a rebound there. I'm still really concerned, Brian, about the economy. I think we're in a ditch right now. I don't think we're out of the woods at all. I think Americans are glum. You look at uh, companies like Facebook. You look at companies like FedEx. You look at companies. Cutting back employees. Cutting, cutting back on employment. Cutting back on production. Uh, it's an ugly picture out there right now, and it all stems back. I, every time on your show, I always try to circle it back to what caused this crisis. It was the $4 trillion that uh, that Biden spent. And don't you love it when he gives these speeches about how fiscally responsible he is? And yells at him. It's joke. I mean, it's well, like, he says he cuts the deficit, but the deficit has yeah, been bulked up exactly. for the pandemic spending. And, and when he came – I mean, here I'm going to use an analogy. Let's say I'm drinking 20 cans of beer a day. And then I say, look at me, Brian. This year I'm only drinking 14 cans of beer. Look at this. I'm I'm sober now. I mean, it's it's the most ridiculous thing. We have increased the national debt more under this president in 20 months than most presidents did in their entire presidency. So, by the way, China is rerouting the U.S. liquefied gas that we cut a deal with them Mm -hmm. during the Trump years in phase one for them to buy liquefied gas from us. Well, now they have extra liquefied gas, so they're selling it to Europe. (laughs) Our gas, our natural gas, which we could be we could have made up for that. Yeah, I've said this again on your show many times. The three biggest winners of the Biden energy policy, which is just to dismantle American energy, the three biggest winners in the world. China, Russia, Iran. Yep. They, they, we are playing right into the hands of our enemies. Steve Moore is going to stick around uh, for a little while longer, and then we're going to uh, welcome in Robert Jeffers, uh, the Reverend, as well as do a simulcast on Varney and Company. I hope we can fit it all in. Back in a moment. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. We can afford to cancel $10,000 in student debt and 20000 bucks if you had a Pell Grant. For Americans making under one grand. I don't want to hear a word from those members of Congress, if you notice, whose family's got tens of thousands of dollars and several million dollars. 
and pandemic relief loan forgiveness. The same ones criticizing. Give me a break. Come on. Okay, Steve Moore here, The Economist. Steve, I'm not, I'm not The Economist, so let me just comment on that real quick. Mm-hmm. Go. Do you realize everyone had their student loan payments frozen yeah. for the last two years and still frozen right now? That is their relief. You had relief. Just like you had rent relief, that yeah. dissipated, obviously, and should be. These horrible people called landlords got to get paid, too. Right. And then with student loan relief, you had it frozen. They gave you a head start. Now you forgave it, and now he's backing off a little on some of the criteria on the forgiveness. What's your take on his disdain for those who would question him? I, I, think, I don't understand the logic, frankly, of why people should have their student – I mean, why? Why should somebody make $125,000 a year and not repay their loan? I don't see how in any form of fairness or equity this makes any sense. Um, the as you know, it's going to cost the American taxpayer. By the way, I hate this term loan forgiveness. I mean, what we're doing is basically telling people Somebody they don't else have to pay, pay back. exactly. Yeah. Someone else, me and you, and the people listening to the show are going to have to pay their loans. Uh, so I'll tell you, Brian, it's not just that Americans are opposed to this, which most Americans are; they're angry about it. Because it just strikes – it's so anti-American that I should have to pay your loan because you don't want to pay it back. And and I hate the fact that he talked about in that same speech, he talked about, well, a lot of these people are minorities and so on. Well, what difference does that make? What's, if, what color someone's skin is in terms of whether they should pay their loans back? It's pandering. I think it's backfired. I think in November people are going to be so angry about this. It's another reason they're going to vote out Democrats who uh, who approve this. And and that doesn't even get to the point as a as – a economics fiscal policy guy, I read the Constitution, it says very clearly that Congress has the power to spend money. I don't see anywhere, Brian, where it says the president has the authority to spend money. And can you imagine if Donald Trump did something like this? They'd call him a dictator. And people are trying to uh, challenging this now in the courts, and we'll see where it goes because he wants to get benefits from it. But I believe that a lot of people, the 38-year-old, that just paid proud of paying off their loans, the 42-year-old that just said, you know, I did it. What I would love to do is to to really examine why they're 7% loans. Why are they 9% loans? So people, if you want to do something, Mr. President, go and cut that interest rate Uh, and say it's predatory. Yeah, but, you know, the big problem in the American economy, one of the reasons I'm so bearish right now is look at the mortgage rate. Have you seen that? 7%. Yeah, when Trump left office, you know what it was, Brian? 2.85%. Yeah. So to go from 2.85% in a year and a half to near 7, that's going to add $200,000 to the price of a 30-year mortgage for an average-priced home. So what happens? Steve Moore is not going to sell his home like you were going to. Exactly. Well, how are you going to get a new Or you're going to have to reduce the price. So it's bad for the buyer yeah. and the seller. It's right. bad for both of them. It's going it, to slump the housing market. It, it will. No question. It's already doing that. Can you, in layman's terms, tell me what's going on with the U.K. economy and Liz Trust? Oh, my gosh. First of all, I, I'm I'm disappointed that she backed off on this tax cut. You know, this, for is, the how, rich. this is how Reagan— For the uh, upper class. Getting the tax rates down is a way to bring Below more 45%. businesses. Yeah. And so uh, I don't understand the lot. By the way, here's the other thing. That tax cut was $2 billion. No, yeah, $2 billion is a lot of money. The total amount that all the OECD developed countries spent uh, and borrowed during COVID and since then, $20 trillion. So why are the why is the bond marking market throwing a fit over a two billion dollar tax cut when twenty trillion dollars, a thousand times more, has been spent by these countries? So um, you what, know, it so just ha- makes no sense. So why? so what should they do? Who? 
UK? Uh, UK. Why is everyone yeah, focused yeah, on their economy should, and they think it's canary they in the coal mine for us? They should cut taxes. They should cut spending. The single most important thing, Brian, for the countries of the world to do, the virus, the new virus in the economy is out of control government spending everywhere. Countries are borrowing and spending like never before, and it's going to bankrupt the world, and it's going to cause a Great Depression. And So I'm telling the Republicans when they take over Congress, they got to start taking an axe to the budget. Did you see the reports in the New York Post yesterday? Almost a half a trillion dollars of waste. Of waste. From the pandemic Fraud. spending. A Erroneous. lot of it came from outside our country. <laughs> yeah, it went to people in Africa and Russia and, and Eastern Europe and Mexico. These people don't even live. I they, mean, people were just ripping off the system. And by the way, Brian, I mean, my blood is boiling right now. So the Republicans have asked the Democrats who now run the Congress, hey, let's do an investigation. Let's have an audit. You know what the Democrats said? No. We're not going to audit these programs. It's crazy. <laughs> I mean, it Yet they could even blame – if technically they could have blamed Trump. Well, a lot of this stuff happened during the Trump administration <laughs> if you wanted. Can Probably you, some of it did. This is what happens. And when get you, it back. Yeah. And, and yeah, uh, bottom line is I know I got hit twice for people claiming to want unemployment insurance in my name. So they were – there's so much fraud going on. Steve Moore, always great to talk to you. Check out more money on 77 WABC on Saturdays, right? 1 p.m. 1 p.m. More money. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. In about 15 minutes, we're going to be on with Stuart Varney to, uh, with FBM, one of the fastest-growing cable companies, uh, stations in the entire country. And Varney's got the number one show, along with Ari Kudlow, on the channel. So we do a simulcast there just about every Tuesday. With me in studio is another great guest, Dr. Robert Jeffers. He's the senior pastor of the First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, and author of a brand new book called 18 Minutes with Jesus, Straight Talk from the Savior about the things that matter most. Uh, Reverend or Dr. Jeffers, welcome back. Great to be back with you, Brian. And I know that you, you're still in touch with uh, former President Trump. Occasionally, I am, and uh, I still support him. And uh, if he runs, I'd certainly be a great supporter Have of you his. noticed a difference in the last four years? I mean, we're noticing the aging of President uh, Biden rapidly before yeah. rising, before, in between when he was vice president and president now. Have you noticed anything with this, with the former president? I haven't. I, I tell you, I think the contrast grows more stark every day between him and Biden as Biden deteriorates. I remember he came to Dallas uh, about a year ago with uh, Bill O'Reilly to do this history tour. And halfway through, he called me and said, what do you think? I said, I think Joe Biden could never give the kind of answers you did. And so I think uh, if he runs, it's going to be a stark contrast that will play to Trump's favor. But do you think age matters? from the president from with the president at 75 he would be not like it is now i think with him age uh, equals experience and i don't think his age is a detriment to his running from what you know unofficially what type of toll has church attendance taken since the pandemic when they told everyone go home yeah, it's had a big effect, and uh, gratefully, at First Baptist Dallas, we're at about 95% of our pre-pandemic attendance, but we're way on the high end. Most churches are 60 to 70%, and I think, Brian, it's taken a spiritual and emotional toll on people being separated from their churches. I think all of these Pew Research polls about uh, Christians not believing like they did and being more discouraged than they have been, it's all a direct result of not being connected together with other Christians. Do they make a mistake, Tony? 
telling people to go home during the pandemic? I think they went overboard. I mean, we, for a few weeks, uh, went to uh, uh, Internet television only, but we only did it for a few weeks. Uh, We realized people needed to be back together. And President Trump does uh, run again. Do you think the... Uh, the religious community would be behind him. Would you be behind him? I'd be behind him 100 percent, and I think most evangelicals will be too, simply because he delivered on every promise he made in 2016. For example? Well, for example, three conservative justices on the Supreme Court that were highly pro-life. You know, Brian, even uh, uh, Democrats, the left, acknowledges that had it not been for Trump, Roe v. Wade would still be in force today. Evangelicals know that. They know they're 200 plus federal judges he appointed to the courts that affect issues like life and religious liberty, the things that we care about. So, yes, I think it was promises made, promises kept. Um, well, let's talk about your book now. Uh, you say, how did you go about doing this? Because you take uh, Jesus, who's who's chronicled in the Bible, yes, and then you want to make it into today's vernacular, understanding for the people that don't necessarily live and breathe it like you and the uh, – and the evangelical community. Well, the title 18 Minutes with Jesus came about from uh, the sensation TED Talks that everybody raves about. You know, a TED Talk is a short talk by an expert on a topic of interest to an audience, but it can only be 18 minutes. And I had this thought, Brian, what if Jesus were to come back today and give a TED Talk? What would he say? And then it hit me. He's already given his TED Talk. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's a sermon that can be read in 18 minutes, and yet in it, he talks about things everybody cares about, about your money, your sex life, how to deal with your enemies, your eternal destiny. And so I gave this fresh look at the Sermon on the Mount for today. Brian, a lot of people think of Jesus as this little wimpy rabbi who went around uh, crunching birdseed and saying nice things to people. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. He was radical. And the things he says in this sermon are really radical, but they live to a satisfying life for those who live those principles every day. What was that Sermon on the Mount like? Well, I think, uh, you know, it was on the hillside looking over the Sea of Galilee. Uh, I'll take a group to Israel in April, and we'll go to that place where scholars believe he delivered the Sermon on the Mount. It was a crowd, though, that was filled with some devoted disciples, but some doubters and some religious leaders. By the way, Jesus' harshest words were not toward the adulterers, liars, and drunkards. It was toward religious hypocrites. He couldn't stand hypocrisy. And I think if he came back today, he would talk to the religious and political leaders and point out their hypocrisy. So you think he would be involved in politics? There's no doubt he would be involved in politics. In Matthew 5, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you, my followers, are the salt of the world. Salt was a preservative in Jesus' day. It didn't prevent decay of meat, but it delayed the decay. And I think he would say to Christians today, the way you push back against evil, one way is by the leaders you elect. Leaders determine policies. Policies determine the moral and spiritual direction of country. So that that's how you feel. So you feel as if you could knock it down. Is that did you actually give that TED talk? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I didn't, but I think Jesus did, and that's what the Sermon on the Mount is. Would you do that if asked? I mean, that's a yes. perfect conversion of your book. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Right. And, you know, again, I think Jesus would be nonpartisan. I mean, I think he would be fiercely independent. I think he would say some things commending Republicans but condemning them, and the same thing to Democrats. You know, I think if uh, Gavin Newsom a few weeks ago put up these billboards for abortion and quoted the words of Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself, I think Jesus would blast Gavin Newsom for perverting his word about life. I think he would quote the verse (laughs) that he said himself, uh, don't hurt a child. It'd be better to have a millstone tied around your neck and be cast into the sea than to hurt a child. I think he'd say to Republicans, hey, you stand for life inside the womb? That's great. I do too. But also be concerned with children outside the womb. Make sure they're taken care of as well. I think Jesus would have some firm words for both political parties. That'd be very interesting. Uh, I don't I fellow Christian, the Pope. Not your necessarily pope, but notice that he called on called out Vladimir Putin. He loved calling out us. He has no problem seeing a having a one on one with uh, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, who's obviously a, a, she claims to be a devout Catholic yes. who's pro choice. But she actually called out Vladimir Putin. Should that be the role of a leader? Do you are you comfortable with that? Yes, uh, I, I am, as long as that leader is speaking according to biblical principles and not political dogma. And look, I think the Pope— what, what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is uh, I don't understand uh, as a political leader how anybody like Joe Biden or Nancy Pelosi can be pro-abortion. It just doesn't square with Scripture. And I think if they're going to call out somebody, they ought to call out their own party, Gavin Newsom, who is doing something that is totally antithetical to the Catholic faith and certainly evangelicals, and that's calling for the slaughter of the unborn. Well, that's uh, interesting because famously the Pope combined with Ronald Reagan uh, to help take down then-Soviet Union. Is that a role in which you think would be supported in a book like yours? I don't think that would be the major uh, uh, thrust of it because, I mean, Because, man, did it. It went for good, didn't it? Right. I, I, I Again, I think Jesus would speak out against leaders that are uh, slaughtering innocent people. I think certainly that's a right thing to do. Uh, Ronald Reagan called Russia the evil empire. I think it's fine to call evil what God has called evil, and he's called murder, uh, the abrogation of basic human rights, evil. But I think, again, uh, uh, religious leaders have to be sure they're on solid biblical ground before they do it. So, you know, uh, Donald Trump, he's been in the headlines really since his mid-30s. He bought the USFL Jersey Generals when he was 37 years old. So he's been out and about with uh, whether it was George Steinbrenner, uh, whether it was Roy Cohn and others. He's been on the the so-called page six of our society. He has not lived that that great biblical Christian life that maybe other people would. Why is the evangelical community so supportive of him? It's real simple, Brian. It's because of the policies that he embraces. Evangelicals realized they were not electing a Sunday school teacher when they voted for President Trump. And uh, he often quotes me about what I said. I said he may not be a perfect Christian, but he's an effective leader. And when you're looking for political leaders, it's a different list of requirements than looking for a pastor. Uh, Personal religious piety is an important important qualification for a pastor. For a, a political leader, it's the policies that he embraces. I mean, look, evangelicals supported Ronald Reagan in 1980, the first divorce president ever. It's not because we supported divorce. It's because of the policies that he embodied. Divorce was a big thing back then. Right? Big thing. I mean, yeah, that, that was. And, and lastly, Mike Pence is also somebody 
that you support and have great admiration for. How do you handle the fact that they're not speaking? <laughs> well, you know, I would say this without saying too much. You know, one of those parties said to me, uh, we had an amicable uh, separation, uh, but it was a separation. And I think, look, they both are great friends of mine. I think they have just different views, and they're not going to back down from their views about January 6th. Absolutely. Uh, they both have great qualities. Dr. Robert Shefferts, congratulations on your latest book, 18 Minutes with Jesus, Straight Talk from the Savior about things that matter most. Think Ted Talk and Jesus, and you <laughs> understand this book. Uh, always great to see you, Dr. Jefferson. Great to see you, Brian. Thanks. When we come back, I'm going to deal with Stuart Varney. Hopefully, I'll survive. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. I'm about to do something with Stuart Varney and a little bit about what we discussed more first hour of the show than this, and that was uh, the vice president seems to put her foot in her mouth every day and not being a help to the president. She would have the most promising career possible when you have a 76-year-old uh, president in decline and then you have somebody in their 50s who's got a law degree, an attorney general's background, a sitting senator before she was named, a failed candidate, got it. But a lot of people fail as a candidate and get a reboot, and she had a chance for a reboot. But the more we see her the more epically she fails. I mean, think about her speeches. Think about her comments when she goes overseas. Think about her refusing to go to the Polish uh, border with Ukraine. And then think about what she said about equity. Let's listen together. It's Stuart Varney. We'll do a simulcast. All right, um, Brian, let's get into Mayor Adams, who has changed the location of that migrant tent city. Okay. Uh, sorry, I want to go with another one. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. I'm getting confused, Brian. It just, uh, I can go with either age. one. I can go with that, which is unbelievable. I know what you're talking about, those tent cities in the Bronx. Yes. So yeah. the, so They're moving it to Randall's Island because AOC doesn't like it in the Bronx. Go with that. Okay. You understand, Randall's Island, there's a police academy there, there's a fighter academy there, and there's about 25 to 30 soccer fields. That also, uh, also, you see rugby there on a regular basis, and about five baseball fields. So what you have is this isolated island where they used to run world games and things to that nature. Now, why are they moving? Part of the reason they said is because, well, it's flooding in the Bronx, and after three straight days of rain, the puddles became untenable. Well, maybe that's a little bit true. Maybe another part of this is not in my backyard, AOC, whose district is there, who's getting a myriad of complaints there, this liberal area that said, go in there, Miss Squad member, and create havoc in Washington, D.C., give us a new Green Deal and make us proud, and they don't want to be a sanctuary city, just don't want to see it in front of them and mess up their neighborhoods. We're saying as a country, we need control of our borders. When the borders come to the Bronx, the people that AOC right. represents want no part of it. Therefore, she's whining about it. And now, miraculously, they move. I know you're going to disagree with me, but you've got two, three, four million people in this country in the last couple of years. They're going to work. Whether you like it or not, they're going to work. And if they don't work, they're sitting around doing nothing and we're paying for it. What do you say? I say this, if, you, if you're worried about 2 to 3 million, I understand it. But just understand that it's going to go exponentially. If those 2 to 3, two to three million end up having promising careers, we are basically going to adopt all of El Salvador, 
all of Nicaragua, the Venezuelans can get out without being killed. If Brazil flips and goes to this, uh, uh, the socialist, yeah, yeah. goes away yeah. from Bolsonaro, they're going to start emptying out here. China's influence, Iran's influence, and Russia's influence is turning everyone socialist, including Colombia now. So if you're able to come here, blow up our system, thumb your nose at it, and have productive careers and eventually get your amnesty, then there's no saying that we're going to have no control of our country. So even okay. though your answer, the self that two to three million is admirable, I think it, what it, where it turns out down the line is, not, is nothing but disaster for America. Okay, okay. Uh, if it encourages more to come, that's not good news, but you've got to do something. Right. And you ain't going to send them back, and that's a fact. Now then, nearly 20,000 active military personnel are facing discharge because they wouldn't get vaxxed. You're fired up about this. Didn't the president say the pandemic was over? Yeah, and I think you're still fired up about it, too. I don't want to put, uh, tell, tell everyone your position on this. But okay. I will say this. Every one of our branches, including the Navy, is below threshold on recruitment. And now you're taking a bunch of military men and women in the Army. The big story two weeks ago is that these Army members are actually applying for food stamps. That's how little they are making. But yet they want to sacrifice for our country. This is their best opportunity. And then they're told, get a vaccine. Really? The vaccine? Don't feel comfortable with that for whatever reason. Then we find out the variants accelerate, accelerate, accelerate. And the president says pandemic's over. And they say, if you don't get that vaccine, which is really a shot, a vaccine is something you get once a lifetime or once every seven years. This is a shot. And you see, now you want this. The president got two shots, two boosters, and gets covid Fauci, two shots, two boosters, gets COVID. The admiral I'm talking to today, two shots, two boosters, gets COVID. These people in the prime of their life want to give to their country, including the Coast Guard. And now 20,000 are given their walking papers. And like the gentleman I talked to today, 18 years serving for the Coast Guard, just saved countless lives in Florida, rescuing people out of the water after this killer storm. And now they're going to be told in two weeks, goodbye. Hopeless. Absolutely hopeless. Make the what change. Situation. Unbelievable. Uh, Brian, uh, just take a look at the market and open your 401k and you've got to get a smile on your face. And that's a fact. For but today. We'll see you later. For today. <laughs> Big day, baby. All, All right. right. Thanks, Brian. All right. October- Thank you. Yeah, we're over 30,000, up 870, um, 698, it looks like, on the, uh, on the market. So that is good news. Uh, we just also got some sad news. Especially because so many people here love country music. Uh, Loretta Lynn has died at the age of 90. So she was somebody in the 70s and 60s that really thrived. Uh, And the one thing about uh, country music, they really respect their heritage. So a sad day over in Nashville for sure. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. I'll take some calls on that. But the vaccine and the mandates is just horrific what's happening. It's such disrespect for the men and women who fight. And then when I know this, that the fatality is infinitesimal for those who, especially with this variant, get COVID, and actually suffer symptoms, get them hospitalized. Look at what's happening now. All you do is say, I'm going to let my military reflect the country. We're living our lives. We're back at work. We're riding the subways. We're not wearing masks. We're even at college campuses, the most liberal bastion there is, not wearing masks, no vaccination mandate. Believe me, both my daughters were at schools that lean quite precipitous, uh, quite deliberately to the left. And they are not wearing masks. Nobody asks about vaccines. But we're telling the Army, Navy, Marines, and Air Force and Coast Guard, yeah, if you don't get vaccines, you're fired. And now even if you have a religious exemption like the, uh, the colonel I talked to today, they said, no, I'm sorry. We're not, gonna go, we're not going to acknowledge that, which is unbelievable to me.
So uh, we'll think about where that stands. And that is part of the reason when you vote this year, you have to understand there's an anti-military sentiment within this administration. And the fact that people like General Austin don't stand up and speak out like General Mattis did and others uh, shows me they care more about their careers than they do about our defense. Uh, Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeade.com. Find out how to see us live on stage talking about all my history books and more in Tulsa, Oklahoma and Brandon, Mississippi. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. And you listen close, you can hear the buses pull up at the Port Authority where they drop off uh, illegal immigrant after illegal immigrant. Because it's not just Texas's problem anymore. It's America's problem that this president's ignoring. Ma- uh, Michael Schellenberger is going to be with us shortly. Uh, he put in perspective the folly of this rapid push towards green energy and the new Green Deal that was just jammed down our throats and mislabeled. Uh, in a great column in the New York Post, and I want to go over it with you in detail. It's even something I can understand. And Brett Baer at the bottom of the hour will go inside 2022. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This is our administration. I'm a Democrat. And, you know, they need to understand they own it now. They own it now. And they have to take the steps to correct this. Otherwise, you know, when are we going to see an end to this? Border wars. Illegals flooding across the border and New York's mayor finds his tent city of illegals literally flooded. Now to be disbanded because AOC in the Bronx don't want it in their backyard. Nice. Where's the president? MIA. Not for long because the political climate says this is a problem with the voter. Number two. Despite the fact that Putin is going to mobilize hundreds of thousands of troops, many of them are going to be physically and medically unfit, not ready to go fight and die in Ukraine on the battlefield. Russia retreat. Ukraine's making remarkable gains on the battlefield as Russia's forces begin to fall apart. And Putin's massive draft has also come apart at the seams. Number one. Joe Biden's approval rating on inflation among independents is 21 percent. Congress's approval rating is 14 percent. Everybody knows which party controls Washington right now and they want to change. Right. And if it was going well, they'd get all the credit. 2022, swinging the red way, not because of great uh, strategy from the Republicans, because the economy, because of crime, because of the broken border. Roe and Trump just don't add up. And by the way, before we get to our guest, special thanks to a brand new station for joining our family of affiliates over in Maine, WPNO, 1450 AM over in South Paris. Thanks so much, guys. Uh, And by the way, their slogan is the Patriot in Oxford County. Um, We welcome now is Michael Schellenberger. Michael, welcome back. Great to be back, Brian. Well, I mean, you you always come on and, and talk so succinctly and directly about the, the the need to have renewables, but we're not there yet. And you put that all in a column, and the the headline is Biden's woke green energy is a joke that makes us dependent on China. Michael, first off, you test, you go back to your testimony. What did Ro Kahana ask you, and what made you realize that they don't know what they're talking about? Well, I, I testified in front of Congress a couple of weeks ago, and uh, uh, Representative Kahana 
from California, he said, if there's a war on energy, how is Exxon, Chevron, BP, and Shell making over 10% profits? And I pointed out that the reason they're making these high profits is because we have really high price energy right now, natural gas and oil, because we don't have enough supply. And the reason we don't have enough supply is because of the war on energy. So I, I don't I don't think it's the case. I, I mean, some people, some Democrats maybe don't understand the relationship between supply and demand. Okay, I grant that. But I think that most do understand that the war on natural gas that they have been leading for the last decade, trying to repress oil and, domestic oil and gas production, while President Biden lifts sanctions on Venezuela, you know, goes to Saudi Arabia and fist bumps the crown prince there, begging them to produce more oil and gas as though their oil and gas had less carbon emissions than ours, that's all because they won't produce oil and gas here. And this is outrageous. It's actually dangerous. The world needs more energy so that we don't have as much inflation because we need to bring down the prices of everything. And the quickest way to do that is by producing more energy at home. Right. Uh, And we can. We're not Japan without natural resources. We have all of this. And we think by asking OPEC to pump more, we're helping the earth. By the way, you know what they're meeting about now? OPEC is supposed to agree to raise prices so they can maximize profits. That's how much they care. You write that wind, solar, and batteries require 1,000% more steel, concrete, and glass, and 4,200% more lithium, 2,500% more graphite, 1,900% more nickel than fossil fuels to produce the same amount of energy. Uh, That according to not Michael Schellenberger, but International Energy Agency. Minerals comprise 60% to 67% of the cost of producing solar panels and lithium batteries. And guess who's making that? China. It's a total environmental nightmare. I mean, it's the one of the biggest scams of maybe the last 50 years is the idea that renewables are good for the environment. They're absolutely terrible for the environment. Solar and wind require three to four hundred times as much land to make the same amount of electricity as a natural gas or a nuclear power plant. You just read the huge quantities of materials and mining that's required for solar, wind, electric cars. The problem is the energy is too dilute from sunlight and wind. It's not energy dense enough. So you have to grind up all of this nature, all the natural environment, to be able to produce sufficient amounts of energy. Brian, it's not going to happen. You know, right now, about 10% of minerals on Earth are used for energy. If you go to renewables, it's going to go up to 50%. That is inflationary. That is going to cause inflation in two ways, by making the, the energy itself more expensive and then also by making electricity in particular more expensive because of the unreliable nature of sunlight and wind. Brian, I'll just say one other thing, you know, which is that we had a major bipartisan effort in this country from the 1970s until the early 2000s to discover how to frack for oil and gas in shale, a rock formation about a mile underground, one of the greatest innovation success stories in American history. We wanted to become energy independent. We did. We're, we produce huge, we're the biggest producer of oil and gas in the world. And yet President Biden refuses to allow expanded oil and gas production at a time of the worst energy crisis in 50 years. Instead, he wants us to become dependent on Chinese minerals. It's 90 percent of them refined in in China. They control the monopoly on, on critical minerals. It's insane to sacrifice this hard won energy security in the United States for dependence on Chinese renewables.
You're right, uh, and I'll give you verbatim what you wrote. Worst of all, our need for these materials means we have to increasingly rely on China. China's market share of renewables and uh, EV minerals is already twice OPEC's. The U.S. depends on imports up for 100% of, of 17 renewables and EV critical minerals. For 28 others, we import more than 50% of domestic demand. So we're outsourcing our security and, our, and energy is security. Why would we do that? And it's more expensive. But in the short term, people think that we're going green. But don't they understand that this is not in our nation's interest? It's not being responsible. It's not going in early and uh, not driving drunk. What we're saying is what they're doing isn't responsible in any way, shape, or form. Does John Kerry not understand that? It's, it's Of course he does. I mean – The thing you have to understand is that the United States, we reduced our carbon emissions more than any other country in the world ever in history. From 2005 to 2020, we reduced our carbon emissions by 22 percent. That's massive. And we did so. The vast majority of those emissions reductions were moving from coal to natural gas, clean, cheap, abundant natural gas. We should continue to do that. Instead, by waging a war on natural gas, so-called climate activists mean that we're going to burn more coal this year than we have in any other year in history. This is, it's absolutely counterproductive. You know, those solar panels in China, yeah. there's a moral imperative to not import them. They're being made by, by incarcerated Uyghur Muslims in concentration camps. This is not a conspiracy theory. This is confirmed by the U S state department, BBC, New York times. Everybody has found this. This is a moral abomination, the idea that we would be importing products made by people in concentration camps. You know, the progressives talk a lot about Muslim rights. We're seeing an uprising in Iran right now. It's a beautiful thing. We should not, absolutely not be importing a single solar panel more. I say when I, when I hit this point in Congress, AOC shifted uncomfortably in her seat. The, the progressives know they're wrong to import Chinese solar genocide panels. That's just got to stop. And I'll, but I'll tell you the other thing is, guess how those solar panels are made? With 100% coal, the dirtiest fuel on the planet. So huh. it's, it's, it's a kind of collective madness. It's a religious fervor. There's no other way to explain it. There's no environmental or economic right. rationality behind it. So, so, Michael, a couple of things. We don't have anywhere to throw them out either. There's no safe way and secure way to get rid of these solar panels. We haven't figured that out, nor the batteries, nor do we know how long they will last. Michael, give everyone an idea of your background. You know, you're not exactly a Barry Goldwater Republican, right? No, I was a lifelong Democrat. I'm, I'm now an independent. I could no longer be in the Democratic Party, given what I knew about what these policies have done to the natural world, what it's, what the ways in which Democrats have made homelessness worse in California. Still an independent. i uh, Time Magazine, Hero of the Environment. I wrote a book, Apocalypse Never, about the environment that came out in 2020. People can find me on my substack, Michael Schellenberger substack. I've got a big piece coming out today about how the media has been lying to people about climate change and natural disasters. I do think climate change is happening. I do think we should do something about it. The wrong thing to do is to become dependent on China. The right thing to do is to produce more natural gas at home. It's from my view is that natural gas and nuclear are the most important technologies for protecting the natural environment and achieving American energy right. abundance and abundant jobs at home. Is there any Democrat that looks at you, pulls you over and says, Michael, I hear you. You know, I'm stuck. I'm stuck in this 
you know, I can't disavow my party, but I understand where you're coming from. Does anyone understand that? Does everyone just all dug in time. politically? <laughs> no, no. All, all, all the time. And, of course, exactly what you said. They can't stand in publicly. Um, you know, I was, I, when I testified in front of the Senate last year, the uh, senator from Arizona, the uh, astronaut. Um, Mike uh, Kelly. Senator Kelly. Yeah, Senator Kelly. He did say, he said, we recognize that we have a problem with the solar panel supply chains. Oh. <laughs> That's a, a nice way of recognizing that. The panels are being made by uh, the, perhaps the most persecuted ethnic minority in the world. Right. He's, the, so, they, he's they, such a lit- why AOC <laughs> is uncomfortable. They, they know they're wrong on this, and they, they, but they don't know what to do because they're captive to a really extremist, uh, and Michael, apocalyptic— you know she was, at, she was in Congress for a week and came up with this detailed new Green Deal. You're going to tell me she came up with that at Boston College? Someone handed that whole portfolio to her. Uh, and you add this, and because it all relates to the war— where the U.S. imported around 18 million barrels of war per month uh, uh, of Russia oil per month. We produce 19 million barrels of oil domestically per day. Instead, President Biden has leased less public, less land for oil and gas production during his first 19 months in office than any other administration since World War II. Think about this. If we really wanted to help Western Europe. To get through a going to be a hellacious winter because of Russia oil and gas. They made these bad decisions to be relying on them. Got it. We could be doing it. We are choosing not to do it. We're letting them beg over to Canada, going over to the Middle East for natural gas. We could be setting up LNG terminals on a rapid pace and be their answer in a market economy. We'll get paid for it. They would be more than happy to pay us. We could become, they could be our customer forever. And as you tell us, natural gas burns clean. But he refuses to do it, right? I mean, this is stunning. I mean, I still have people, I still have progressives and Democrats come up and tell me that Biden is doing everything he can. Like you said, he's, he's offered fewer leases than any president since Truman. I mean, this is absurd. I mean, we've had a bipartisan consensus. President Obama and President Trump. So to the extent to which we've been doing oil and gas during Biden's administration is because of the leases and, and, and permits that were given by Obama and Trump. We should be expediting the creation of these LNG export terminals. I mean, that's a no-brainer. We can produce enough natural gas for ourselves at home as well as for our allies in Europe. Uh, what's happening in Europe, it's, it's going to be ugly, for the, and not just this winter, but for several winters to come. We had a we were under a treaty obligation to protect Europe militarily to avoid having to do that. We need to help them to maintain their prosperity. They made a terrible decision. President Trump, to his credit, actually warned Europe against becoming dependent on Russian gas. But we should not compound their terrible decision by depriving them of the fuels that they desperately need. Uh, it's unbelievable. I just would, you know, we used to have interesting conversations and they're like, there'd be nuances to it. And you bring in these intellects to debate it. And now we have things that are just so blatantly right and wrong. It's mind boggling to think we won't do anything in our national interest. It's our national interest while China builds coal plants and has the rare earth and is stripping their country in doing it and providing us with rare earth. And then they'll have a stranglehold on our economy. Wow. You say this, Gavin Newsom, the day he says we're going to go all electric cars, stop building gas stations and ban the combustion engine. He tells everyone, don't charge your car. Uh, I don't need your car between four and six. And whatever you do, don't put it in your air conditioning because we're running out of energy. That was like the next week. 
It's bonkers. I mean, there's a war on natural gas, which is, first of all, that's crazy because natural gas is the main way that we reduced our carbon emissions. They're, you know, Brian, I don't know if you know, they're banning gas heaters. They're banning gas cooking. This is happening in California. It's happening in New York. It's happening around the country. That's insane. We're almost having blackouts in California for three years in a row because we don't have enough reliable electricity. Right. So now they're going to go make us even more dependent on but, electricity. But here's what gives me hope. In Sweden, they tried this. There's been a backlash. Republicans went in or their conservatives went in there. You could honestly say the same thing with Liz Truss. Uh, in the U.K. and maybe even in Italy, uh, there's a practical basis to the uh, to the average person. Uh, and we want to do things that make our life uh, somewhat livable and not this ideological uh, way of living. Michael Schellenberger, thanks so much. Look forward to your new column on Substack. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Brian. Back in a moment. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Tim Tebow, in his last discussion with my legal counsel, was, listen, we know Tony's cooperating. We appreciate all the information he's provided. Uh, We will follow up with you. We're definitely going to have him come in uh, for a follow-up interview or spend some more time on this. And um, I haven't heard from him since. At all? No. Nor have my lawyers. No communication whatsoever? No. Since before the 2020 election. Correct. That's shocking. Uh, shocking, yeah. That would be one adjective. Tony Bobulinski sits down with Tucker Carlson again with an extended interview. We have more of that interview. And you know that he was the business partner of Hunter Biden. And then he was backstabbed by Hunter Biden. There were him and his uncle were double dealing behind his back. And it became apparent that this military intelligence officer, who's already become a self-made multimillionaire, didn't need this type of duplicity. He came to help out a former vice president whose family business did not have the expertise in which he brought. Then he realized this guy was doing things against the interests of our country and certainly not in his best interest to maximize profits from the fund they founded. And that's when he came forward. And when he gave the information out, people said the laptop was disinformation and nobody picked up the Bobolinsky story, which was stunning, unbelievable. And now as things start, the New York Times, Washington Post and other outlets say, yeah, that that, uh, laptop was real, which we all know. What about Bobulinski? Has anyone ever asked President Biden, do you know Tony Bobulinski? Did you meet at the Beverly Hilton Hotel when you were former Vice President Joe Biden? Did you tell him, take care of my family? Because, man, did he ever. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This issue around the gender binary has, has, has taken up way too much space uh, in the public conversation. Uh, I think that people are weary of it. I think that people having to put the she's and the this and that and the pronouns on their, their Zoom, all of that stuff starts to send a signal, I think, to working class voters that, that these people are not concerned about the things that affect me every day. They're not <laughs> concerned about inflation. They're not concerned about, which is not to say you can't be, care about everybody, but there's something that's out of balance. And so I think that when we start sending the cultural signal that we're more concerned about the, the, the pronoun you put on your Zoom call than we are concerned about the fact that you don't have a house or a job, I think the party's off track. 
Van Jones on HBO with Bill Maher, and I think he's 100% right, and I'm just astounded that very few people talk like Bill Maher, and in this case, Van Jones. Joining us now is Brett Baer, chief political anchor for Fox News, anchor of Special Report, uh, and you, of course, his book, To Rescue the Republic, Ulysses S. Grant, The Fragile Union and the Christ of 1876, now available on paperback. Hey, Brett, Van Jones speaking logic on the left. I've not heard a lot of that. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, Bill Maher has kind of stirred that up uh, on the left side, and he's, I think, changing some some minds. I think Van Jones has always been of that mindset of more practical side. And when, when the woke side of his party goes off the rails, uh, he kind of reins it back in. But I, I do think that it reminds me of when uh, in 2016, some polls in North Carolina and Pennsylvania suggested that Hillary Clinton was more concerned about who was going to the bathroom, which sex, than she was about my job or my economic success. And those were, that started to pop up in polls late. And I do feel that in some places that that has, that mentality has kind of sunk in again. Yeah, uh, and we'll see what's going to happen if it's not too late. Now, right now, I have not seen a poll uh, that listed abortion as number one. It seems to be dropping of late. It looks like the most the interest of people are mostly inflation, economy, uh, as well as crime. And now border is rising up, the border wars along with immigration. That's bad news for Democrats. 100%, because there's not an answer. Uh, there's not a... They don't have a policy prescription. You know, Speaker Pelosi said the other day when asked by Bill Mnuchin that the border, uh, they're trying to make it secure and that there's a plan for that. But there really is no plan. And, uh, you know, I've talked to Secretary Mayorkas on Fox News Sunday and other places. Um, it, it is not uh, set in stone about policy, about how they're going to deal with this. And because of that, it becomes exponentially a problem, even though just now networks are starting to send people to the border. I mean, have you noticed that? Just within the past month, NBC now sent somebody to the border to do stories. And surprisingly, they're running into Democrats who are turning into Republicans uh, based on what they're seeing along those border states. And But to me, the only Democrat that has credibility is Henry Cuellar. Yeah, and and he has been on the border every day. He tries to talk logic to Democrats. He also said to Bill Malusian, who relayed that to Shannon Bream on Sunday, that Mayorkas told him that the left-wing immigration groups have gotten to Biden, and he's really helpless to do anything. And Mayorkas, in many cases, has got to sit there and be the battering ram and take it like a like a Muhammad Ali against George Foreman at, in, in Zaire and almost yeah. rope a dope. But you can't lie. And if, no, if that can't. is the and, case, he's and, lying under oath. I know. And he's got a long storied history of, of being a public servant. This is Mayorkas. Uh, and, you know, has, has given his life for public service. Um, but if you're dealing with a policy that you have to defend and it's not defendable, defensible, uh, it's it's really hard. And And basically that's where he is. And that's why. He's not doing a lot of interviews unless it's in a very friendly environment. I know Peter Thiel is so confident uh, as we switch to the Senate races with J.D. Vance. He's basically given all his money now to Blake Masters. He believes Vance has locked this up already. I don't think he has. Cut four is Vance. Our opponent has tried to run as far away from the Biden administration as he can. And our job is to remind people um, that he is not the moderate that he pretends to be in his TV commercials. He is, in fact, 
a rubber stamp for Biden and Pelosi. You know, we can't just be against things. We can't just be against the Biden administration. We have to be for things, too. And we have to let people know how our policies are going to make their lives better. So that's one thing Tim Ryan's doing. He's running from the president and saying he's some of this, this moderate or slash conservative said Democrats are a, a bad word these days. But the bottom line is J.D. Vance is right. Tim Ryan votes with Nancy Pelosi all the time. 100 percent of the time. Not it's not like 80 percent. I know it's it's across the board. And so you've got a situation where they have to point out that as Tim Ryan just today or yesterday said was asked the question. So you're not going to ask President Biden to campaign with you. And he said, no, I'm not. Um, But if that's the case, you're not telling the voters that every time Biden asked you to vote with him, you did. And um, that's the advanced campaign's challenge. Now, they've had some fundraising issues. They've had some you know, slow start issues. He's a first-time candidate. This is Vance. But it's a Republican-leaning place, pretty reddish, Ohio is. And um, Teal may be right. I mean, that may be solidifying. But right now, the polls are still tight. Uh, the other one that is closing is Dr. Oz. Well, Fetterman's maybe because the issues have moved away from him because he's – he seems to be, let's go easy on crime, let's, let's look at the problem and think it's police. Uh, Tugin taking Black Lives Matter outside some audio interviews off his website. And Dr. Oz has talked much more practically what we thought going in where Pennsylvanians were. Here's Dr. Oz yesterday with Laura. Cut five. Voters want to know that you care. And the way you ex- express that is by listening to what they're saying, which is what you do as a doctor as well, and then addressing their kitchen table concerns. While Fetterman's talking about the topics you just mentioned and lots of other uh, issues that have nothing to do with the crisis happening here in Pennsylvania, I'm talking about crime, the highest homicide rate ever in the city's history in Philadelphia. I'm talking about drugs, fentanyl in particular, and the open border that's causing it to kill uh, folks in Pennsylvania more than ever before. We're top five in the country with fentanyl deaths. I'm talking about a 40-year high of inflation and tax rates that are through the roof, advocated by uh, not just... Fetterman, as a candidate for the Senate, but also as a lieutenant governor, he was pushing for almost a 50 percent tax increase while not paying his own 67 times. So he's going after Fetterman, who can't get a sentence out because of his stroke, perhaps, who is going to be looking at a closed caption debate, which is going to be bizarre, which substance will probably be about 20 minutes once they expand it. And then you have somebody that is against fracking, uh, is, is basically more towards to fund the police than fund the police. The issues are not tacking his direction. How close is this race? I think it's very close. It's within the margin of error, and that's a substantial shift from plus 11 Fetterman when when everything started. Remember, as we talked about before, Oz had a bruising primary against Dave McCormick. That slowed him up. Uh, I do think he's finding his stride, and you're right. Crime is driving a lot of the push. You know, he had a town hall the other day, Oz did, in which – Uh, A a black man stood up in Philadelphia and said, honestly, it is easier to get fentanyl on the streets than it is to get baby powder for my baby formula for my uh, kid. And these are not like made up people. These are not like people that they're putting in the crowd. These are real uh, people that are coming out to talk about the issues they're facing. And and you're right. The issues are going Oz's way. Uh, Fetterman has a, st- a stump speech that's about 12 minutes, and it is not full of substance. It is full of making fun of Oz. Uh, and you wonder how long that can, can hold. 
Yeah, I mean, he's looking to run out the clock. It's scary. If President Biden wins the presidency and doesn't campaign, and Fetterman wins the Senate seat and doesn't campaign, I don't, I, I'm afraid of what people might learn from that. It's just not fair uh, to the electorate not to get to know who people are under pressure and in a debate setting. The last one is the most controversial. Herschel Walker being accused of funding a woman's abortion and paying a $900 check. She's come forward. Listen to Herschel respond last night. Cut one. First question, do you know the woman that is making this allegation? I have no, no idea, but it is a flat-out lie. And, uh, and now you know how important this seat is. This seat is very important that they'll do anything to win this seat, lie, because they want to make it by everything else except what the true problems that we have in this country is, this inflation, the border wide open, crime. They don't want to talk about that. So they're making up lies now because they need this Georgia seat. And then his son last night came out and says that his dad is lying uh, and that they had to move eight times because they feared uh, uh, fear for their welfare because of him and said some disparaging things about Herschel. What's going on here? Yeah, it's not good. It's uh, crisis management uh, and how the campaign deals with it in the next two days or so is going to determine uh, the case of this Senate race. Now, both candidates have family issues. Uh, you know, Raphael Warnock's ex-wife uh, has her own statements about Warnock and, and his, you know, how he dealt with the family. But this is not good for Herschel Walker and um, how he deals with the next few days and the debate, more importantly, on October 14th uh, in Savannah is going to determine this race. You know, I've seen stranger things in in elections. I mean, think about where we were with um, with President Trump and candidate Trump. Um, Billy Bush tapes. Hollywood, yeah. um, the bus, uh, John McCain. I mean, we, we've been down a lot of roads on elections. Um, I don't know, but it's how you handle it. Uh, that determines whether he's going to come out on top. Right. Uh, a lot going on. Indeed, there is a lot at stake. Uh, and. I look forward to the, the next Herschel Walker interview. I think Sean asking very direct questions. And if this woman produces a check and a receipt or a phone call, then Herschel looks at his line. If she doesn't and she's set up, it would propel uh, could propel him to victory, showing that he's a target of all these uh, would-be attacks. It also thought it was interesting that SNL could, it go, could skewer one candidate. They chose uh, Donald Trump and Herschel Walker. And I don't know if you saw, they just had – uh, Keenan, come on and just mock Walker's intellect. And I thought to myself, wow, I mean, who commissioned that? Raphael Warnock? I mean, whatever happened to a fair – and now the late night shows, basically they promote, uh, Brett, something you would promote. Coming up next, Nancy Pelosi. I mean, can you believe – would you think Johnny Carson were ever saying, the Speaker of the House on the next edition of The Tonight Show? I lose, I lose Brett? I think I might have. It's not like you refused to answer the question, Allison, right? I mean, out of all the questions I've ever asked, that wouldn't be the toughest. Um, but we'll see. So we'll see if we get him back. I, yeah. Hey. Um, I refuse to answer that question. <laughs> That's the stand. Refuse. That's what had Brett Fair just finally made a stand. Can't hear you. <laughs> um, yeah, just real quick, the late night shows are political shows now, but to the point where they're actually saying Senator Schumer and Rav- uh, coming up next, the Secretary of Transportation. I mean, that, I never thought late night shows were going to be like that. I thought that was our job. Well, guess what? That's why Greg Gutfeld is winning. Yeah, I know. I know. Have you been on that show? I have. I've survived a couple of times. 
And how, and your career is still intact? Well, we'll see. I mean, some... <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I mean, it is. It they did have the rankings the other day, and it's not even close. It just it's a strange time. Uh, Brett, thanks so much. Do you have you want to uh, unveil your panel for the first time? Um, we have. We have Ben Dominich, Juan Williams, and uh, Libby Beavers on. We're going to also have uh, Common Ground, this segment that we do once a week about, you know, either Democrats or Republicans or people from different views uh, starting to talk about where they come together. So I'm uh, hoping to continue that at least once a week. Wow. Is, is there music underneath it? <laughs> there is a nice intro. Ah, there is. Very, makes you feel good. All right, good. Brett, you made me feel better <laughs> that you came back and didn't duck my question. Thank you so much. <laughs> right. Brett, and pick up his paperback right. to rescue the Republic. Appreciate it. Back in a moment. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Fellow Americans, words have many meanings, and sometimes instead of conveying our meaning, they can suggest other meanings. When we talk about the children of the community, they are a children of the community. Well, we are the United States of America because we are united. And we are states. I'm talking about the significance of the passage of time. Right? The significance of the passage of time. So when you think about it, there is great significance to the passage of time. <laughs> Everybody's laughing. That is a mix on The Daily Show of Veep and the Kamala Harris. Think about how bad things have gone. With the outgoing host and producers of The Daily Show are finally said, I can't take it anymore. We're going to have to compare it to a comedy on HBO. Yeah, and it goes on, you know, for more than that, and it is very entertaining. But yeah, she, you know, she's lost everyone when she lost the Daily Listen, Show. Listen, even last week, the whole equity comment: North Korea is a longtime ally of ours. He's supposed to, she's, she's making things worse while the president's trying to call on dead Congress people, uh, while is misanthropes over in Puerto Rico, where he says, "I basically am, um, I'm Puerto Rican politically." He said. It's amazing how he's just caused so many more problems for himself by picking people right. that check boxes rather than qualified True. candidates. And isn't he at his best when he's at COVID? He was at his best when he had COVID. His ratings went up when he was unable to speak in front of people in the White House. Not that he takes questions, but that's think about it. That's when the president's numbers surged. Well, because you feel bad for him and you hope that he's healthy and then also that he can't speak and stick his foot in his mouth. Let's find out this morning now. More to know. All right, the famed neuro, neuropathologist Banat Omalu, the inspiration behind the Will Smith movie Concussion, tells TMZ that Tua should never play, uh, play should never play another down in the NFL again after suffering a scary head injury. Listen to Mr. Omalu. Stop playing. Stop gallantly walk away. No matter how tough you think you are, your brain is still 60 to 80% water. Your brain is still as vulnerable as the brain of a, of a little kid who is 16 years old. So my advice to him is it's time. You've suffered severe, long-term permanent brain damage. If you love your life, you love your family, you, you love your kids, if you have kids, it's time to gallantly walk away. He was never going to walk away. There's no way he's going to walk away. He's going to go through his concussion protocol, and that's it. 
Right, because how much is his contract for? Oh, uh, he's about to get a huge contract if he keeps playing like he's playing. There's no way he walks away. Yeah, because what else is he going to do to make that kind of money? Right, but it is, you, know, you do wonder about the head injuries in football. We haven't heard much about this, but now they've got to revamp the protocol. You know, they fired this, the uh, trainer that put him back on the field, but evidently the trainer did every single thing he was supposed to do under the current rules, and they make him the bad guy. Yeah, that's not fair either. I mean... Except for use logic and say, man, his, you know, he was barely walking. Mm-hmm. His al- alibi was he has a bruised back. By the way, isn't that a problem? A bruised back? Agreed. But at the same time, the coach is done even if like Tua himself is saying, I'm going in, nothing's wrong. I mean, where, where do you draw the line? I agree. The guy, poor guy is the scapegoat. Right. And I'll add this because I don't have time for another story. The Giants, Tyrod Taylor, Tyrod Taylor is their backup quarterback. He played one drive and gets hurt. One out, perceived a thought to be concussion. Any thought that he could play the same week, sometimes five days and you're okay, they're going to London. No one after the Tua situation is going to let him play. No. I mean, better safe than sorry, though, because your health is the most important. Like, yes, he has a big contract, but if he can't function in 10 years, what was it worth? And even if you don't know him, know this. For the good of the game, Tua can't be permanently injured. Because if he's permanently injured, everybody goes down. And people start saying to their kids, you're not playing football. And they got past that. There was a bit of a crisis point. Football got past that. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.